The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We just heard a story with which we are all familiar. We probably first heard it read to us when we were children. In the animated television special, A Charlie Brown Christmas, which I first watched when I was 11 years old, Linus recites tonight's gospel by heart. And this gospel story becomes the turning point in that animated tale, changing Charlie Brown's feelings of defeat and despair and worthlessness into renewed, renewed hope and joy and love. If we think that stories like the one we read in tonight's gospel are only for children, or that stories are by their nature, simplistic, 
we are misled. In an article titled, The Science of Storytelling, software founder Leo Wittrich notes that when we listen to a boring, factual lecture or presentation, the part of our brain that lights up is that part which processes language, translating words into meaning. But when we listen to stories, multiple parts of our brains light up. Not only that part which processes language, but also the sensory cortex, which processes input from our senses, and the motor cortex, which coordinates our body movements, and many other parts of our brain. It turns out our brains are wired for stories. In Mark's Gospel, we read that the adult Jesus, quote, taught the crowds by telling many stories in the form of parables. He did not speak to them except in parables. Jesus communicated the kingdom of God by telling stories. Episcopal monk James Kester notes that we tell stories because stories have power. The most powerful ones are told over and over and over again. It is those stories that change us. The Christmas narrative is a story of discovery because through it, we find ourselves. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. On the surface, that opening sentence seems but a dry historical fact. But in reality, it is much more than that. Brother Kester remarks, while in that sentence Luke conveys information, he also draws us into his story. He does that by reminding us that decisions made hundreds of miles away by one man, in this case, the Emperor Augustus in Rome, can upend the lives of countless people far away, like Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. And we know what that is like. We see it every day. Decisions made today in Moscow by one man, Vladimir Putin, are upending the lives of millions if not billions of people, not only in Ukraine and throughout Europe, but around the globe. The same is true in regard to the war in Gaza. It's not just the decisions made by Benjamin Netanyahu in Jerusalem that affect the fate of the residents of Gaza. On one side, there is pressure from Washington, from the United Nations and the European Union, and on the other side, there's the support of Hamas by the distant leaders in Iran. 5.8 million refugees from Ukraine are scattered throughout Europe, with 3.7 million having been internally displaced within, from their homes 
within Ukraine. 1.9 million residents of Gaza, 85% of the population, have been displaced from their homes. Luke's story of an emperor in faraway Rome 2,000 years ago forcing Mary and Joseph to leave their home and travel 90 miles on foot while Mary was pregnant reminds us of those residents of Ukraine and Gaza today who are at the mercy of powerful people in distant places. In the powerlessness of Mary and Joseph, we see the powerlessness of so many people today. And we too have personally experienced similar powerlessness. We all remember how we felt during the COVID pandemic, especially in that first year when there was no vaccine or effective treatment. Grocery store shelves were empty and stay-at-home orders were issued by governments throughout the world. Contracting the virus meant you had a good chance of dying, especially if you were older. And there was a worldwide shortage of ventilators, masks, and gowns in hospitals. Hospitals where patient beds were set up in hallways because there was no room in the rooms. By mentioning the edict of Emperor Augustus in Rome 2,000 years ago, the edict that all the world should be enrolled, Luke is drawing us into his story by opening our eyes to a reality that still happens today. Luke continues the story. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now the angel quickly told them, do not be afraid. But I imagine they were still struck to the core with trembling and awe. You and I don't need to have an angel appear to us in order to be struck with awe. Human beings are hardwired for awe, notes Brother Kester. From the moment our first ancestors looked into the night sky, we have been captivated by awe, recognizing the hand of something or someone much bigger than ourselves. As we lose ourselves in the world of awe, we struggle to name its source. Some of us call it God. Allow me to quote Brother Kester at some length. In a scene from Elizabeth Stout's novel, Olive Again, Suzanne is having a conversation with Bernie where she confides to him, when I was a kid, I would take these walks and I would get this feeling, this, this very deep sensation, and I understood that it had something to do with God. 
But I haven't had those deep sensations for years. And so I wonder, did I make it up? But I know I didn't. Suzanne tentatively tells us she has entered the world of awe. This very deep sensation that she names God. The heavens may not have been torn apart by angels, but she knows she has not made it up and has had an experience of a world far larger than herself, the world of God. On that hillside near Bethlehem, those shepherds had a similar experience as they gazed into the heavens in awe and knew that it had something to do with God and they hadn't made it up. When we find ourselves in moments of awe, we find ourselves with those shepherds on that hillside. We may not be able to say that it had something to do with God, but we know we did not make it up. And Mary knew that too. She treasured all that happened and she pondered those things in her heart. Mary did not have it all figured out. She did not know what it all meant. But she knew she had not made it up and that somehow it had to do with God. And as there we find ourselves once again in this Christmas story. As Mary pondered who this tiny baby lying in a rough feeding trough was, she tried to make sense of her life in light of everything that had happened. That torturous journey with Joseph, the birth of her son in a sheep cave, the angels and shepherds, and above all, who this tiny baby was and was to be. If you find yourself pondering, if even for only a moment, who this Jesus is and what he might mean for your life, then you are like Mary. And as Mary, you have found yourself in the story, pondering these things in your heart. Stories have power. And some stories have the power to shape our identity, forge our imagination, and foster our sense of belonging. When those stories are told, we are not a passive audience listening for information or amusement. We are co-creators in an ongoing story which changes us. The stories we tell at Christmas are such stories, for they touch us where we feel most powerless. They usher us into a world of awe. They force us to ponder their meaning for our lives. My prayer for you tonight, my friends, is that as this service ends 
and you walk out of this church into the dark, cold night of Christmas Eve, you will let down your defenses and allow these Christmas stories to bring forth from deep within you those unfathomable sensations that you can only understand as having something to do with God. They may be sensations you haven't felt in years. But on this Christmas Eve night, more than on any other night, you will know, you will know 